Medical professionals from all over the world have joined together to help the sick and injured survivors of Haiti's devastating earthquake. These medical volunteers are not just physicians, they're nurses, paramedics, corpsmen, therapists, technicians. Every type of medical professional is represented in this international effort, including physician assistants. And we have one of them with us today from Haiti. You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell. With me today is Eric Holden, and he's here to help us understand the current international relief efforts in Haiti. Hi, Eric. Welcome to ReachMD. Hey, thanks. So, Eric, first of all, how are you doing? We're doing really well, actually. We ended up with the 82nd Airborne, and they're treating us really well over here. I heard through the news that the search for survivors is no longer happening there. Is that what you're hearing there? The large-scale search has essentially ended, but they're still pulling people out of some isolated locations. There was a woman and her baby who were pulled out of a pharmacy just yesterday, and they had survived. Apparently, there was adequate food and water inside the pharmacy so that they were able to survive until a team came and found them. Driving around the city today, actually, we did see one of the urban search and rescue teams uh, still working on one of the buildings. So I think the main effort has ended, but there are some areas that they know that people are still in. There's one story about a family that's trapped inside a grocery store, and they're okay in there, but, you know, they need to get pulled out of there, obviously. So, so I think at this point they're limiting their searches to places where they know that there are people still alive who are trapped, who have been communicating by cell phone or by uh, texting with their families. Well, cell phones uh, had a great impact there. And how are you taking care of yourself medically? How are you making sure that you're avoiding not only just malaria and the other illnesses that are in Haiti, but just from humans and two weeks out and the disease and the illness, et cetera, associated with a disaster like this? Yeah, well, we all, most of us anyway, got some vaccinations before we came to Haiti, things like typhoid. You know, we all updated our tetanus shots, our hepatitis A and B series, things of that nature. As well, we're all taking anti-malarials. We're all taking doxycycline for the most part daily to prevent any kind of, you know, malarial problem. What that doesn't cover for, which is mosquito-borne here, is dengue. So we're all wearing lots of mosquito repellent, you know, the 100% DEET, that kind of stuff. Apparently, the uh, most of the mosquitoes that bite during the day are malarial-borne mosquitoes, and most of the ones at night are dengue-carrying mosquitoes. So, uh... Most of us are intense with mosquito netting, and we just douse ourselves with deep before we go to bed and hope we don't get dengue. So as far as precautions about food and water, we're eating some of the local food, but we're careful not to eat you know, meat that we buy off the street, things of that nature. There was a photographer who came with us early on who actually ate a hot dog off the street and got fairly ill from that. A couple members of our group have had some bouts of GI distress, but the group that's here now is all doing pretty well. Well, the New Yorkers are used to buying all their food off the street, so this is a change. <laughs> Yeah, it's, you just need to take some simple precautions. You know, you don't buy oranges that have already been peeled by people. You know, you don't know how clean their hands are. You don't pretty much eat any meat unless you saw it cooked yourself and you know what the source is. If you can't identify a meat, you don't eat it. Right. So, Eric, how has your PA training affected what you're doing there? It's been very helpful for me. Also, the time I spent as a paramedic was a good basis for all of this. Really, most of what we're doing here is essentially kind of a paramedic scope of practice with, you know, a little bit of suturing, some orthopedics thrown in. I did quite a bit of emergency medicine and, and trauma training throughout my PA school, and we've uh, seen quite a few bad fractures that I've, we've had to splint prior to transportation. We actually did reduce a femur fracture in the field the other day and prior to transport of a patient who had no pulses in their foot, and after we reduced the fracture, they had pulses again. Yeah, unfortunately, we don't have any uh, really good injectable narcotics with us, so we've been using Toradol, which is an injectable anti-inflammatory, we really don't have anything stronger than, you know, Naproxen, Motrin, or Tylenol with us to give folks. We've been making do, and I think people are happy to get what we have. Do you feel like the situation is improving? 
I think it is. Day by day, we're seeing that there are areas where people were begging for water. You know, the first day we were in town, and now we see the U.N. trucks there delivering water to people. The food situation, I think, still needs to be improved. It seems like the water is under control at this point. Did you feel any of the aftershocks? Were you involved in any of those? We did. We felt a couple of minor ones. We weren't here for the big one, the 6.0 that happened a day before we arrived. But we felt a couple of minor ones, which I'm guessing are in two or three range. I was actually in the 1989 earthquake in California, so I'm kind of used to earthquakes. It comes along with being a Californian. So the minor ones, most of us at this point, are just kind of rolling over in bed and waiting to see if it stops. And if it doesn't, we all know where to go. So what lessons have you learned from this experience so far? I think the most important thing for, for a disaster like this is getting people to the scene as quickly as possible. And that's something that this organization is really good about. They had a list of people available you know, beforehand. And as soon as it happened, you know, they sent out email and said, you know, we're going in a couple days. Who's with us? We need a yes or no in 24 hours. And then when we hit the ground, we concentrated on the urban areas that were the hardest hit. We've really kind of come up with a list of medications and supplies for next time. We did receive a a lot of donations that that unfortunately we've been unable to put to use. We've gotten a variety of really esoteric medications and supplies. We actually were sent a case of endoscopic biopsy punches, which we really can't use here things of that nature, IV antifungals, things along those lines. How are people being prioritized in the hospitals and the clinics right now? They're essentially doing a triage system like you would expect in an American emergency department. People with significant injuries are being seen first, evaluated as quickly as possible given the constraints of the situation, x-ray, laboratory, things like that, and taken to the operating room. There are a number of patients here who still haven't been seen with minor injuries, which you know should receive some care, but they will probably do fine if they don't receive care at this point minor abrasions, minor lacerations. We're far enough out that we're not doing a lot of you know, surgical wound care at this point. We're, we're cleaning wounds and we're dressing them, but it's too far out to do any kind of suturing or delayed closures because most of the wounds are mostly healed at this point if they're not infected. We do have a lot of injectable antibiotics with us. We have cefazolin, ceftriaxone. We've been using those a lot. For the kids, we have Omnicef, which is an oral fourth-generation cephalosporin, which Unfortunately, it's probably broader coverage than we really need, but we got a large quantity of that, and that's the only thing we have for kids here. So that's what they're getting if they have a bad infection. Are you guys working 24-7? We're putting in long days, but we're getting some sleep every night. We're probably to bed by midnight every night, and we get up with the sun here, you know, 5 or 6 in the morning. There are lots of wild roosters here, lots of dogs. So as soon as the sun comes up, it's loud here. Yeah, this is very different than my experience in rural Haiti, where you kind of woke up to jungle sounds in the morning, and it was kind of a quiet wake up and then it just kind of amped up over a couple hours. Here, as soon as the sun comes up, you're hearing cars on the street, you're hearing roosters, you're hearing dogs, you're hearing people shouting outside the compound. And are there people waiting there for you when you wake up and when you go to bed? There have been in the past. That's kind of died down. We've we've seen most of the people in the immediate area of our compound. So what we've actually been doing uh, with the 82nd, as I mentioned before, is, is we're going out on their assessment convoys with them. We have a truck with about 16 guys in it with a lieutenant, and they just have a grid system lined up for the whole city, and we're going tent city to tent city, and we find uh, whoever the leader in the area is, whether it be you know, a local uh, rabbi or someone who was previously an elected official in the area, and we ask them, you know, do you have sick people here who need to be seen, and they take us right to them in the heart of the tent cities, and we evaluate and we treat them there if we can. If not, we stabilize them and evacuate them to one of the local hospitals. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, and I'm speaking with Eric Holden, physician assistant, and he's currently in Haiti participating in the international relief effort. 
Well, there's blogs everywhere talking about how can we help? How can other medical professionals and PAs help now? What would you recommend for someone who's ready to get on a plane? Would you recommend they do it or who should they call? What should they do? I think at this point the need is, is more for money for supplies and for food for the people of Haiti, donating through organizations such as NYC Medics or the American Red Cross or uh, Medicine Sans Frontiers. Any of those organizations, uh, you know, they have people on the ground. There's a structure in place. They just need to be supported from within. I think there's not a lot of need for more medical professionals on the ground at this point. It's more a matter of, of adequately supplying people who are here. And what about future needs? Do you think there's a role for future needs? If someone is interested in coming now, perhaps they'd be interested in coming six months from now. Oh, definitely. There's an ongoing primary care need in Haiti. There will be for decades to come. We've actually tried to transition some of our clinics over to some local doctors. There was a group of doctors who were working with us our first several days, and they said they would be interested in staying behind at that location if we left them some supplies. So we left them some supplies that they could spare, and they said they were going to try and run an ongoing clinic there once a week or twice a week basis and provide ongoing primary care and minor orthopedic and surgical care as needed. And what about PA practice? Are there any issues in Haiti for PAs practicing medicine? No, not at all. You know, it's a disaster situation, so they're happy to have any kind of of help they can. We do have two physicians on the team who are, you know, in essence, our our on-site supervising physicians, but, you know, no special arrangements for supervision. We're not even, you know, for the most part, writing charts. We're essentially doing three-by-five cards with the name of the patient, no vital signs, their complaint, and then some quick treatment on there. You know, our, our first day here, we saw 400 patients in about six hours. And if we were doing full charting like you might see in the emergency departments in the United States, that just wouldn't have happened. So it's just kind of the minimum that we need to get by to know what we need to know to assess and treat the patients. Could you talk a little about preparing for something like this? I know this is a time when everyone wants to help if you're a medical professional, but you and all of the people in your group, you were already prepared for this, working with DMAT or NYC Medics. So this would probably be a good time to let people know if in the next natural disaster you would like to be a part of it, what kind of things should they be doing now? There are a number of supplies that people need to do something like this. If you're outfitted for camping in the backcountry, you probably have almost everything you need. You need a good three-season tent. You need a quality water filter that gets both bacteria as well as viruses. We found as soon as we got here that a number of people didn't have adequate water filtration. They had things that would only pull out Giardia, but not things that would pull out viruses. So we had to come up with some stronger chemical means, some chlorine tablets, things along those nature that would kill bacteria. Certainly the clothing is important. A lot of us are wearing the the lightweight nylon kind of pants that zip off into shorts. You know, things that you can sweat in. It's, it's hot and it's wet here. It's, you know, 90 degrees every day and 90% humidity. So it's like, you know, being in the, in the Bahamas. So it's, it's hot and wet. So people need to be prepared for that. What about training? Should people be looking at an NGOs or should they be looking at the federal disaster medical teams? What would you recommend for them to get training to be prepared? There are a couple of different ways to do it. Probably the best way is to be involved with our local DMAT teams. Uh, every state has a DMAT team and several of them are here on the ground now. I think we actually beat our local DMAT team here. I'm on the Oregon DMAT team, and they're going to be leaving for Haiti the day that I get back. So certainly the smaller organizations, although they don't have, you know, as many supplies and things ready, they have the advantage of being more mobile. If you have 10 guys, you can get something like this together in three or four days and just leave. If you have to mobilize 30 or 40 people and move all those supplies, it's a little more difficult. But becoming a part of a DMAT team means that you can provide emergency care in your home communities throughout other states, you know, domestically as well as for international events such as this. What if they want to get involved with New York City medics? Most of the guys here, as I mentioned, are either paramedics already or emergency medicine or surgical PAs. 
So really, we're looking for folks with those backgrounds. For our initial group of 10 people, we had many more people who wanted to come over who we unfortunately couldn't bring over, but they had to uh, kind of look through the list and find out who had the requisite skills. And then they also looked for people who could speak either French or Creole. I don't speak either, but I've been here to Haiti before. I'm both a paramedic and a PA, so I think that put me a little higher on the list. And certainly my buddy Mike Jones putting in a good word for me is probably what helped. He was on the Pakistan trip, and I think his word means a lot for those folks. Yeah, let's talk for a bit about New York City medics. They've got quite an amazing history. Can you kind of give us their story? Yeah, I can give you kind of a little outline of that. When the initial earthquake happened in Pakistan, some of the medics had heard that no care was going into some of these more rural areas, and they really wanted to get supplies and help into those areas. They were able to find someone who would fly them over and, and pay for some supplies. It was actually an Islamic relief organization that was concerned about patients in that area. They put up a lot of money and flew them over and paid for their supplies, and they were actually dropped into a really kind of remote area where no one had been yet, and they provided care to three or 4,000 patients while they were there. So uh, since that time, they've been involved with some other disasters as well. We tried to get a team out for um, the most recent disaster in China, and actually uh, it ended up being mostly problems with uh, various state departments and getting passports and visas approved, and they weren't able to get a team out for that. But for Haiti, it's worked out quite well. They were happy to have us. When we crossed the border into Haiti, they didn't even look at our passports. Well, these guys definitely know how to make things happen. I think it's that New York City blood they have. Yeah, this is a very strong group of paramedics. I've worked all over the country as a paramedic before becoming a PA, and these are the best paramedics I've ever worked with. I'm really proud of each one of these guys. Well, how long will you stay? There's another group that is going to come and relieve us. We're going to overlap for one day in the Dominican Republic, and now they will probably also be here for uh, 10 days to two weeks. I think at this point for them, the, the mission is kind of evolving and it's going to be changing a little bit. While we were kind of going in and, and seeing the most critical patients, people who needed immediate assistance, I think their role will take on more of a primary care type of function. We've received a lot more donations just while we've been here of routine medications for hypertension, for diabetes, things of that nature. And, and a lot of people here who are on chronic medications haven't been able to see a doctor or get into a pharmacy at the time of the earthquake, so they're out of all their medications, and we now have the ability to resupply those. I know after the 2005 earthquake in Pakistan, the New York City medics went back in later. Are you planning on doing the same thing in Haiti? We may. At this point, it really depends what the need is and how long our supplies hold out and how long our support holds out. If there's an ongoing need, they may send in additional teams. Um, that's, that's kind of evolving on a day-by-day basis. Actually, we just got a call. I need to go, Lisa. Okay. We're heading out with the 82nd on another uh, mission here. So, Hey, thanks for joining us. Be safe. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM160, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at ReachMD.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And I thank you for listening.